Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, we're going to you know, start the episode, as always, by reviewing the latest episode of Doctor Who, Card Nissen, but our interview, which is later on in the episode, is with Ricky Hess, the uh, creator and director and uh, one of the many writers behind the uh, new uh, web anthology series, Horror Hotel. Um, so we'll be talking to Ricky a little bit later on, but first, Raisa and I are going to, uh, you know, give you our views on this one. Um, again, unfortunately, Patrick has not been able to join us. Unfortunately, he's not been very well, but our thoughts and prayers are with him. Yes, they are. So without further ado, um, let's let's hit this one running. Nissen uh, was um, the last episode of Doctor Who, and um, boy, you know, what what a surprise in comparison to. Because I think you and I were talking about it before the episode came on, Risa, and, and you, you said that a lot of the uh, advanced reviews were sort of comparing it to a mink. Yes, yeah. And a lot of the advanced reviews were, were comparing it to Blink, and a lot of the advanced reviews were complaining about the fact that it was so companion-centric to the, to the extent even that Clara was interacting with the young doctor in the time loop. Um, the, the, that that last one is a valid complaint, but I would argue that all of the modern companions since Rose have been a bit Mary Sue-ish, so there's no point in complaining about it now. That's just how modern who rolls. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's just how it's, it seems to be how it's rolled since Rose, really. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, you know, I think I think the companion in 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 modern Doctor Who has a much better deal uh, than the companions did. In, in the uh, classic series, with the exception, perhaps, of Ian, Barbara and Susan and the original Dots Coup companions um, for, for William Hartnung and maybe Patrick Troughton. Yes, and that was and that was because largely because Hartnell was older and ill and um, William Russell and Jacqueline Pierce and Caroline Ford, because he was older and ill, um, had to take on larger roles than the companions would have otherwise had. The other thing is, that, though, with Hartnell's that, and in comparison, especially to Capaldi, is even if he hadn't been ill, um, older men of, of Hartnell's generation just didn't do stunts or anything like their own stunts. That was just not how it, it was expected to go. Whereas Capaldi is a five-year-old in a fifty-six-year-old body hanging on wires and doing <laughs> and, and doing and doing as much as he can. Yeah, but you know the thing is, you're saying that was because Hartnell was older and stuff. But you know, yeah. I, I, as I said, as I pointed out, um, the same was true true Troughton in, in terms of his companions. That's you know, true. You know, he he had some pretty strong companions, and 
I don't, I don't know. The companions seem to get weaker and weaker as the um, as the classic series evolved. Uh, the last couple of good ones really being Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane. Um, and and Ace. Yeah, and maybe maybe may Nina and Romana. Yes, Romana in particular. I I like Romana, both of her. But they they kind of got weaker as you got into uh, Peter Davison's uh, run. Um, yes. As well as um, as well as Colin Baker's run. Yes. Oh God. Uh, yeah. You know, they they kind of just they were just there to sort of like ask the doctor questions and stuff like that, and um, seem to take on less of a role. Yeah. Yeah. No. As it got as it wore on, it got painful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you know, and you know, when you when when you bear that in mind, I don't know what these people are complaining about. No, and and part of it is that when you have a show with a limited number of characters in it, um, you're going to have certain characters that take on the brunt of the narrative. You know, there there's a downside to narrative economy, and the Mary Sue phenomenon, the Larry Stu phenomenon for, for guys, that's what it's called, is a downside of narrative economy. Um, they're just, you know, if there are only three characters to go around, all three of those characters are going to have to do an awful lot, even if it pushes the boundaries of what you think the structure can handle. Yeah, so. it was it was a really interesting story, and it was an interesting idea. Um, yes, because you know, as you as you pointed out in your uh, notes on the um, on on the actual review that I did on 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 the website SciFiPost.net. Um, you know, it shows you what happens when the Doctor doesn't have a full time living companion. He, you see, here, here the, and I'll and I'll and I'll verbalize that point because it's it's so so important. Um, it isn't just that the, the metaphor isn't just that fear is the companion, or that the companion is invisible. What he what he was going through there was he was he was internally screaming for the for the monster to always be there. Mm-hmm. It's invisible and it's always there. He's internally screaming for a live-in companion. Yeah. Um, he's he's reaching a point where he can't deal with, you know, the, the whole story was about how Clara can't juggle two lives. Well, the whole story from the doctor's perspective is my life is my life. It's not your hobby. Because mm-hmm. going back to the Dalek, to the Into the Dalek episode, you have that, that moment where Clara refers to him as her hobby. And it's sort of half joking, but it's actually logistically true. And going back to Into the Dalek, there's that moment where he's got this massive thing going on with a Dalek. He has to stop what he's doing, get in the TARDIS, go get Clara, bring her, and bring her back. Yep. And, I, and I watched that and I thought, what the actual hell? That is not how it works. He needs a companion in the TARDIS with him at all times. At whatever point he or she needs to leave, that's fine. That's when he or she leaves and the next one comes in. But until they leave again... They're there, period. And and when you look at it, you know this this is actually a phenomenon that's actually uh, been really really relevant with the uh, with the new series as well because Rose didn't did, you know she she didn't travel with him all the time. No, she wanted to, but she didn't. She didn't. Um, Martha didn't travel with him all the time. In fact, um, after after a year, she 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 was gone and she was with Unit. Yes. Um, Donna certainly didn't. No, although Donna came the closest in that she at least had the frame of she at least had the, the presence of mind to pack suitcases. Mm-hmm. And she also had the presence of mind to actually know the doctor. Yes. You know, she she saw like um, you know, in Runaway Bride she has that line where she says, um, 
you know, whatever you do, don't travel alone. Yes. You need somebody yes. to stop you. Yeah. And, and that's a, that brings me to the point in Listen, where he brings Clara on board the TARDIS after her birth, first aborted date. And he's going on and on about his theories about the invisible permanent companion. And her response is, how long have you been traveling alone? And I wanted to say, you stupid bitch, you're the reason he's traveling alone. If you're worried about him, figure out how to be there more permanently. I mean, one of, one of, the, one of the breakdowns I'm having, and one of the reasons why I'm insisting that some version of the Impossible Girl storyline is still playing out, is that there is such a gulf between the, the girl who was willing to actually, as far as she know, walk to her death in his timeline, and the girl who's now treating him like her hobby and wondering why he's having a mini nervous breakdown because he's been alone too long. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a gulf there that they're, that they're either not addressing or waiting to address. I can't decide which. It's kind of been a long time coming as well because um, even Amy and Rory didn't travel with Ma all the time. No. But then again, no. he, 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 he knew that they weren't going to travel with Ma all the time. So, you know, obviously, again, it was much like the uh, situation of 12 with, uh, with Clara. He was yeah. having to pick them up and drop them off. Yes. You know, yes. they'd have a couple of adventures together. I mean, in fact, the uh, the new comic book series from Titan is actually um, set during a 200-year period in which the Doctor didn't have uh, the companionship of Rory and Amy. How the hell did he even survive that long? No, no idea, but, you know, so that, that's basically what the, uh, that's basically how they're doing in the comic book series with Titan at the moment. That oh, they set it in the period where he travelled alone, um, oh, okay. which it doesn't doesn't uh, which doesn't discount the fact they might have had a few other companions along the way. Yeah, yeah, when he yeah. Wasn't with them. Yeah, but I I just I have very mixed feelings about Clara at this point because it, the part of me wants to dropkick her for not being more aware of what his actual reality is. But the other part of me is, if she's fracturing, if she, if part of this is she's experiencing side effects from being the impossible girl, and I'll get to that in a minute, then she has every right to go on dates and reclaim something of a life because she's restructuring herself mm -hmm. as, as part of that fallout. And so I, I kind of look at it, um, I'm, I'm of two minds over it. I really am, because I, I see it from both sides. But it's hurting him as much as it's hurting her. Yeah, and I think we're going to have, um, I think we're going to have Danny Pink join the TARDIS crew. I think that's going to happen at some point. It's going to have to happen. Yes, it's going to have to happen. I think um, episode six is the beginning of that process. Mm -hmm. So that that's uh, not this coming episode, but the next one. The next one, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, as for various arcs, um, a couple of things. We spend this episode so focused on what's written on the board. Listen is written on the board. Listen is written on the board. Who wrote Listen on the board? I think he's using his own narrative as a red herring. For if we're paying attention to who wrote Listen on the board, we're not paying attention to what the doctor's been writing on the board since the beginning of the season. Because the very first thing he does is snip out that chalk in Vastra's room and start writing those equations. And you see him writing those equations in and around all this other stuff. And then he erases those equations. And then we have the listen storyline with all the listen stuff. And I think part of that is Moffat sort of doing the story arc by omission, mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind. If we're seeing other stuff on the board, we stop thinking about what are those equations? Are supposed to, what are they supposed to be? 
So I think so I think um, on that level, this was an arc episode. Mm-hmm. I think by I think by definition, any episode with his name on it is going to be an arc episode, even mm-hmm. if it's not overtly so. Uh, in terms of the more overt stuff, though, I've got two logistical issues with the whole Clara going to Gallifrey thing. Putting aside the Mary Sunus and the time loop and all of that stuff, I've got two questions for you. One is, if you're in a TARDIS and the TARDIS is native to Gallifrey and the, Tard- and the TARDIS's Time Lord is native to Gallifrey and going to Gallifrey is what is what needs to do happen to help the doctor and that's something that the TARDIS can do on autopilot why do we have an entire storyline built around how the TARDIS is now slaved to a non-Gallifreyan and suddenly going to Gallifrey mm-hmm. Moffat is using that to point out the fact that the non-Gallifreyan can go to Gallifrey as a logistical point of narrative themes aside and another thing I noticed, and you brought it up in the um, in the post as well, was you know if if Gangafrey is time locked, yeah, how how is it the TARDIS can still go there? Yeah, because um, if, the, if the last time we saw it, it's in a, it's in a pocket universe, and it's and they're struggling to even open up a crack in the universe to even get regeneration energy to him. I think my answer to that would be that um, it's Gangafrey in the present day, and um, only in the time since the time war. Um, ended by trapped in the present in 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 in, in the pocket universe, may, but perhaps not Gangafrey before that time period. That might work, but the the larger question though, and this is especially relevant if they if since he brings Clara to Gallifrey, she's still the impossible girl because the that's the only way non Gallifreyan could possibly get to Gallifrey because the last time she was in Gallifrey was in in the past as the impossible girl interacting with the first Doctor. Mm-hmm. Because she told him, she told him which TARDIS to use. Which TARDIS to use? So she's go, she's going into impossible girl mode, and he he basically made the TARDIS traveling mechanism more more involved than it needed to be, simply to point out um, to those of us who catch it that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. The uh, and I think also one of the larger in terms of Gallifrey um, overall. You also have that whole thing tie back to the to the War Doctor, the very episode where we find out that Gallifrey is in that pocket universe, and this is this is Moffat. This is Moffat dealing with his specific mythology. So if he's going to tie all the stuff together, I think what he's telling us piece by piece by piece is that Gallifrey is returning. Yeah, which which is not before time as well. No, so, it's not. You know, personally, I think it's needed to return. I think we need you know a few time lord enemies for the Doctor. I think think we need a. Uh, you know, the Doctor, you know, like in the uh, classic series, you know, be, being sent on missions for the Time yeah. Lords and stuff like that, because it's it's kind of like, uh, it, there's only so long you can go without, you know, have, having your own race of people in it. Yes, yes. And if you look at the timing of it as well, it's, um, it's also pretty cool, because let's see, when did Doctor Who start? Um, 1963, and the first mention of the Time Lords was 69. Yes. Um, which was, but then again, we did have hints of them before then, you know, such as meddling monk. Yes, I, I, I would love. They, they have, they have a more modern version of him in Big Finish, which I love. I wish they would bring the meddling monk back on the show. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, perhaps maybe they will do at some point. You, you never know. Um, no, you never know. I mean, you know, this uh, this Missy or Mistress or whatever. Who 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 is she? Yes. Um, I'm I'm kind of hoping that she isn't um, a female um, regeneration version of the Master. Yeah, I, there are pros and cons to whatever they do with her. I think whoever she is, she's a Time Lord. I think she's in a TARDIS and she's mind gaming the people into thinking they're dead. I I, 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 I'm sorry, in agreement with you there, but I, I personally think that. Um, I don't think there should be a female doctor or a female master. You know, I don't. Th- I don't think so either. But what we think and want are not always what the show is going to give us. Yeah, I mean, I... What 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 I'm, what I'm going to say is, if they were to do that, I think it'd be nittle the character. Um, I think so too. And you know, and I think you would actually say that you know there are no there are no strong female time lords out there that could be the Doctor's equal. And it kind it kind of like um, it kind of like whitewash all the good work that they did with Romana back in the eighties. Yes. You know, yes. because she she was just as capable as the Doctor. In fact, in fact, she was probably more capable than the Doctor. Yeah. In in many ways. Mm-hmm. So I I just um, you know I think if they you know they should just bring enough they should just bring a female Time Lord into it. Yes. You know, um, without having having the Doctor regenerate and change his sets. I mean, I've got no problem with the Doctor changing colour. No. I wish they would. Oh, I wish they actually would do that. Or something like that. But I think changing sets would be taking a little bit too far. That'd be just going. That'd be just going crazy, PC. Yeah. 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 Um, so the the, the Missy, um, I think we're probably going to get to her in a few episodes. Um, the next episode we got coming up is Heist with Keely Hawes. Yes. Yes. And, That's um, going to be fun. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm kind of curious to see what sort of role Keely Hawes plays. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, she's supposed. I think she's supposed to be playing a banker. Mm-hmm. And it will also be quite a funny episode as well in terms of the fact that it's about um, a banking system and um, you know how much we love banks, don't you? Yes. With yes. the bankers' bonuses and stuff like that. So there'll probably be quite a bit of satirical commentary going on there. <laughs> so I, I hope so. You know, I hope so. I, I, I certainly hope so. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, but in ter- terms of missing, it was a thumbs up from you. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, and I do have one more point. This could be something, could be nothing. But the doctor made that why do you, why does Clara need um, three mirrors joke twice? Once as a joke, twice as maybe a plot point. I don't know. It just it just seemed a little too obvious to me. And you know she, they, they, you know I think I think she actually does have three mirrors as well. Yes, she does. In 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 the in in her it, was it in her bedroom or is it song? It, it, it was in her bedroom. Yeah. yeah. But it was song. It was probably one of those mirrors where it's song like it's on hinges and you got you know where, where you yeah. got three different panels. Yeah, because the thing is, mirrors are associated thematically with identity. So if if they went literal with why does she need three mirrors, and it was actually more than humor or humor disguised as a plot point, it would it could theoretically tie into the Impossible Girl story arc. Maybe could could even tie into his his whole timeline as well. It could could actually be taking an Alice through the looking glass approach to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, ne- you never know. Sorry, it could be quite. You know, it could be. Um, but then again, um, knowing Moffat, it could be a could be a complete red herring. It could, it could. Which is why I haven't. I mean, any any one of the theories that I've raised since the since the since the show came back with Capaldi could be completely wrong. I'm just calling it as I'm seeing it. And then there's there's enough here that I feel like something is going on. Whether it's what I think it is, I don't know, but something is going on. 
Mm-hmm. There, there are too many bits and pieces that don't add up yeah, outs- I, outside of some theory. And, and I actually think that the last couple of episodes have been the strongest. You know, the Robot Sherwood and this one yes. have been the strongest episode so far. I mean, the, the first episode, Pying It was a bit, you know, kind of um, weak. Mm-hmm. Um, Into the Dark, it was um, a slight improvement, but I think these, these last two have been his strongest episodes so far. Yes, and the, the way I know that is that I, the way I judge this is, is this episode worth a repeat viewing? And I've watched Robot of Sherwood three times. And I watched uh, Listen twice. Yeah, I've not, I've not, wait, I've not rewatched any of them yet. Mm. I've just sort of like watched each one once, and that's it. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, bit, but it's basically because I've not had time. Mm. But I do intend to. I'll tell you, I actually, I actually did see the uh, pilot episode twice. Mm. You know, but you know that's um, that that's that that's sort of like um, another matter entirely. But I, I think the I think this I think the episodes are, are getting stronger, and um, you know I'm, I'm just waiting for the um, absolute clunker of the season because there's always one. There's always one. Although I have to say, we'll know it when we see it. But by clunker standards, it will probably be elevated by the fact that it's Capaldi because mm-hmm. he's he's delivering a hell of a performance. Oh, absolutely! So like. Uh... It's completely, it's completely convinced me that, that he's the Doctor, and um, there's still so many layers for him to reveal as well. Yes. Um, but what, what's, um, what, what's kind of funny, I've been reading something somewhere, there's a few people that are criticising his accent, because they, you know, they, they claim that they can't quite make out what he's saying sort of thing, but we had that same sort of complaint with Matt Smith from some yes. quarters as well, so... Yeah. Um, all, all I can suggest is that these people just go out and buy themselves hearing aids, <laughs> or, or something, or, or, or just maybe listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so is, is that about it for this week, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think we about covered everything that was worth covering. Okay, well, now it's uh, time for um, our interview with uh, Ricky Hess, the, uh, the writer and director of uh, the Anthology series. It's an Anthology web series. It's well worth checking out if you can get past the uh, very long intro. It's called Horror Hotel. And um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a little bit like the Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone, um, even even with little hints of Warehouse Thirteen to it as well. You know, because um, each episode involves an artifact mm-hmm. of some description that's sort of like uh, cursed. Um, but you know, we we're gonna move right on to that interview now. Um, thanks as, as ever for joining us, Reesa, and hopefully, oh, you're hopefully we'll have Patrick back next week. But that's it for now. Interview. Enter the world of the Horror Hotel. Located on a less traveled road, but frequently visited by interesting characters of society, Nazis replace the police and nobody notices a scream. A place where the innocent are falsely accused, and the trustworthy reign in deception. Death is not always permanent at the hotel. The departed can return in whole or in part. Time appears to stand still. The hotel is home to lust and greed, deadly desire, vanity, and obsession. And pretty girls gone bad swap friendship for beauty. 
One thing is certain, you never check out the same way you checked in. For the hotel is the great equalizer in the state of the human condition. A place where gangsters and criminals come to conduct nefarious deals. But don't expect it to always be fair. Welcome to the Horror Hotel. I'd like to welcome a um, special guest today, uh, Ricky Hess. He's the um, executive producer and creator of um, a fantastic new web series which has took the internet by storm. Um, it's called Horror Hotel. How are you doing, Ricky? I'm doing well, Ian. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, I guess first off, um, you know, how did you get into, you know, developing, you know, developing um, series for the web? Well, uh, you know, it was sort of sort of a new thing for me. I was doing uh, helping some friends out doing uh, independent uh, horror uh, short films. And uh, someone had an idea for a web series because uh, a couple of years ago, web series were sort of starting to become this new thing. And uh, I'd looked into it and uh, I liked the idea, but I just sort of came up with an idea for it and decided to run with it. And, you know, I hadn't really looked back since. It's very similar to making uh, a lot of short films, especially the way we do it, being an anthology and all. So uh, it's like making a bunch of different little independent movies and uh you know you just sort of tie them all together and but uh it, it's great i love it mm -hmm. well, i bet you have a much easier time distributing it um over the internet um in um a friend of mine uh he's he's a web series producer as well um in fact i was a producer on his web series <laughs> oh yeah yeah somehow. cool um he's called matt's matt's pile he's going to be he's going to be uh, releasing a book um in 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 october all right. Um, about how how you can go about creating content for the web, as in as in doing web series. So we've yeah. got that coming out in um, October. But um, what, one of the things he points out in the book is that as an independent filmmaker, which you were or, mm -hmm. or, or you are, um, one one of the hardest things is going around all the film festivals mm -hmm. and distributing your work. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we submit to every uh, festival we can. You know. It's funny, uh, web series uh, festivals, or what, what they're called web fest, are fairly new. Most of them are only, you know, one to three years old, so it's a fairly new thing. Before then, you're, we were submitting to uh, a couple of uh, just regular film festivals, but now that web fests are popping up, it seems like almost every city's having one. So we submit to almost uh, every one we can and try to go to all the ones that we can, but uh yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of work trying to get out there and do that. I mean, you spend just as much work promoting web series as you do making it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the whole whole point is it's getting much bigger. You know, it's sort of like started yeah. a few years back, and uh, and it just seems to be getting so, so much bigger um, as, as a genre. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I'd like to think that it's kind of like where cable TV was back in the day. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are saying that. <laughs> um, you know, that, that 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 web series is probably going to be the next. It's going to be the. Um, it's probably going to be a fact of life in about another ten, twenty years. It's just going to be the way everyone oh, yeah. consumes yeah. TV I and think, stuff. Yeah, I think uh, you know. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm into web series, but uh, I mean, to me, uh, broadcast television is kind of on the way out. So many people are watching things online. Even television shows that, that air on TV, you can see the next day online. So, 
a lot of people watch it that way. I mean, I don't, I don't even have cable anymore. I'm almost watch everything streaming now. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, with, a, with a lot of the platforms out there now, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of reason to really even have TV. I mean, you can stream sports now. So, you know, I think, uh, I think web series are definitely, uh, uh, where it's going to go. So I, I, it's early stages of it, of course, but, uh, I think that's the future. Mm-hmm. And and also I think it's also where all the creativity is where as well because when when you're so like doing a TV show for a network, don't have a hit and this is the same in the in the movie industry as well. Um especially here, you know, don't don't have a hit with one thing yeah. and then they'll make several thousand clones of that one thing. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and then then you have one film, and then, oh, we just got to make a sequel to this. We know that that is a good thing about web series is the you're afforded a lot of creativity with things. I mean, you're not really held to a particular mold. You can really do what you want. I mean, it's even as I mean, web series itself is almost experimental right now. So. You know, if you got got an idea, go out there and do it. I mean, the anthology, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of anthology web series out there. Uh, and I, just being a big fan of Twilight Zone, I really kind of wanted to bring back that style and have something different like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and for me, it's an experiment. Every, every episode is an experiment. But uh, it's definitely a good place for, uh, you know, get some good creativity going for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you, as you say, you know, Twilight Zone, you've kind of done that with Horror Hotel, but unlike Twilight Zone, Horror Hotel is all set in the same location. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that is the uh, funny thing is I tell people that the uh, motel itself is a character of its own. It's kind of the only real reoccurring character. We have a number of re- semi-reoccurring characters, but it all takes place at the same place, the Hogansville Motor Court Motel. But... Uh, yeah, that's uh, some of that was based upon uh, some of the restrictions we had. I, I had one set, and I liked the motel setting. I, I really liked uh, Alfred Hitchcock and Psycho, and that whole Bates Motel was real mm-hmm. creepy. It just seemed like a good setting for things. And uh, you have so many uh, people that could travel in and out, so it was it sort of provided its own for being an anthology, just changing characters, so changing stories. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's also, um, in, in, in a sense, it's also a little bit like, um, you know, Arthur Haney did a book called Hotel, which was later turned into a film, and then yeah. it was turned into a TV series. <laughs> and, you know, as you as you said in the uh, text Q&A that we did, um, it's, it's, it's a good location because, you know, you, you basically have people passing through all the yeah. time, sort of thing. And, um, and there's nothing more interesting than people that are passing through. Yeah. Well, you know, it's in a way, it's uh, kind of like people watching when you watch the web series. It's kind of I want that's that's sort of the feeling I want the audience to get is that they're seeing these temporary characters, just like if you were just to go sit in a park and watch people go by, and you sort of wonder what sort of story they had before get, getting there and afterwards, and what their life is like. And uh, this is the same sort of thing. You're almost a fly on a wall at a place where the strange and unusual happens. So you see these characters come in, you know they're just going to be temporary, and you're there to sort of watch their story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've, you've, you've done quite a few interesting stories. I mean, we was, was talking about a couple before we started recording, um, as in the, the very first episode um, about the android, about the, about, about the robotic maid yeah. and um, her, her rebellion. I thought that was a really <laughs> cool story. 
Well, you know, uh, she actually follows uh, Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. And I, I was hoping people would pick up on it, but uh, you know, uh, you know, just being a huge sci-fi fan, uh, that was a really good story to start with when we were talking about what start stories to kick off the series with. We thought that was good because there's a little bit of suspense in there and uh, comedy and sci-fi, and that's really what the Horror Hotel is all about, are those, that combination of elements, and uh, that story seemed to just really seem to you know bring all those things in at once and just kind of kick off the series and uh, the, the bane we wanted. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought the uh, another thing is, uh, you know, she did follow the uh, Asimov's uh, Laws of Robotics, but at the same time, you know, thanks to that particular guest that, you know, thanks to the hostage that they'd got, gotten, um, yeah. she was kind of, like, enabled, in a way, to sort of, like, uh, find a grey area within that. Exactly. Way. Yeah, and, that's, and I that's thought that what, was cool. Yeah, that's what uh, Asimov was always doing was, you know, he created those laws, not so they could be broken, but so that uh, the artificial intelligence would find those gray areas of, you know, so she doesn't hurt Merle, the, the, the cowboy, but, you know, she finds a way to, to protect herself and protect this other guy without hurting anybody. I mean, she, she finds that gray area. And I think that's very, uh, Asimov sort of story. Mm-hmm. It, it was quite, quite funny as well, because you kind of, um, you're kind of whooping at the end because, you know, <laughs> the, the, the character that's being, being taken out at the end is such an obnoxious, unlikable sort of thing, <laughs> sort of, sort of character that you kind of like thinking, yeah. But then, then, then you sort of like stop to think and think, mm, oh, well, okay. Um, what's this other guy got away with? Yeah, I know exactly. It's that's that's the funny thing about the characters uh, in the in the series is uh, there's very few just good people. Most everybody that's even a good guy is kind of got a, got a little bit of bad in them. I mean, you just kind of don't end up at the horror hotel unless there you, you got something not so good about you. I mean, everybody sort of walks in, and everybody gets screwed a little bit. So. Uh, but that's that's what I think makes uh, good colorful characters are people that uh, have a little bit of good and bad in them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one, one one of the great things about Horror Hotel, which you which you, you really celebrate, is you've won four four web series awards. Yeah, yeah, at the uh, LA Web Fest, we're really uh, happy to uh, when, when the when that came out. Uh, we had uh, submitted to a lot of film festivals and uh, went to a lot of them, and then. Uh, that one we, we won some, uh, awards for, and I mean, I was completely ec- ecstatic when I found out about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so was it, did it get best web series as well as best director or something? Or? Uh, we got, uh, one for, uh, outstanding director, uh, outstanding, uh, score, outstanding sound design and, uh, outstanding web series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we got a lot of awards, so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was. It, it's great. It was great news. Mm-hmm. And on top of all that, you're as, you're about as mainstream as a web series can be now, without without being broadcast on an, on, on a network. In that yeah. previous picture up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've had a lot of success on that distribution uh, lately. You know, with uh, Hulu, and then uh, we rolled out with uh, AT and T, Uverse, MSN, and uh, definitely some more. Uh, coming up for announcements soon as well and uh but but you know i mean even even with uh some mainstream success i mean we're still very independent we're independent producers and we still do our own thing we use our own timetable uh so i mean i love it because really in the end i just want 
more people to see the web series and uh, we get to do what we want and still be creative and just have that access to more people. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, from from what I've seen, I've really enjoyed. So, you know, and I think I think a lot of other people that appreciate things like Twilight Zone and Out and Limits and and all those old anthology series that used to be on television, but for some reason no longer work on television um, anymore, um, will, will appreciate. You know this this new, new you know this horror horror hotel that you've done. Yeah, you know it's a it's a little bit older style of. Uh storytelling and uh, a little older style of a show but uh you know i had i had someone that was i got in a conversation with uh, a couple months back about some of the best uh tv shows ever and i think i looked it up and it was uh blue is the writers guild had listed out 50 of the top best shows of all time and i think number two on the slot was uh twilight zone and i said well, you see there that's that's still a fan favorite i mean it to me that holds up to the test of time and I think a lot of that's due to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's it's really it's really confusing and 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 whatnot. You know, they 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 uh, these things were really successful. I mean, you know, even the remake of The Outer Limits that they had run in the nineties yeah. um, worked perfectly on television then. But for some reason, of late, every time that that a network has tried to do an anthology series, it's just not it's just not taken. Yeah, you know what. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sure why that is. I know a lot of, uh, I, I guess it's similar to, uh, I, I throw it back to the, uh, the TV show lost where it's a long ongoing arc story. And it seems like that's where a lot of TV shows go with a really uh, disappointing finale. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, some people have said that, uh, my web series is more akin to a, uh, to a uh, sitcom just because sitcoms have while they have the same characters do have different stories within them it's not so much of an overarching story but a lot of the dramas these days definitely have that that uh story that just spans an entire season or even an entire show sometimes and but uh you know i think really anthology works pretty well on a web series on a number of levels and one of those being that uh I hate it when I start watching a web series and I get five episodes in and I'm like, where's this story going? I feel like it's not going anywhere. And then I lose interest. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think with an anthology, you can sit down for a few minutes, watch it. And then that's it. The story's done. You can come back the next day, watch something else. Or if you didn't like the previous story, maybe you'll like the next one a little bit better. And so to me, that's something that really works out well with uh, for, uh, for the web. Mm-hmm. Well, I did two back to back this afternoon. I watched two 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 episodes back to back while I was waiting for the uh, you know the the USA and <laughs> Germany football game. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and then I, then I put the USA and Germany football game on, and um, you know sub, you know the USA lost one uh, nil, but it was kind of predictable. I kind of yeah. knew that was going to happen anyway. Um, <laughs> But that that said, um, we're talking about football now, so I'm going to have to change the topic. (laughs) But it's all like, um, I knew that was going to happen anyway, and I think I got more joy out of those episodes than did out of the the America-Germany football game, to be honest. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Well, And and you know what I think is cool is, 
you watch the episodes a little out of order, and a lot of people come to me and they go, "Well, do I have to watch it from the first one?" No, man. You just you just pick a pick a name that strikes you, or uh, a picture, or a thumbnail, and you're like, "Hey, that looks cool. I want to see what that's about." And you watch it, and you know you can watch them out of order, and you know it's it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, me, it's so like it's usually by actress. It's like, hmm, she looks pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we we got a we got a, a number of cuties in some of our episodes, so uh, that works out well. <laughs> I was, I was kind of joking there, but you know, as you say, pick a thumbnail that grabs your eye, and um, and like, like I said, you know, how did the uh, Houdini one come about? You know, what, what was the genesis of that idea, Houdini's hand? Because I really like that one. Well, you know, uh, all of our stories are actually written by uh, my dad, Al Hess, and uh, he's uh, done a lot of writing in the past. And when I was working on this web series, I was taking a lot of different ideas from people, and he submitted a lot of them, and. He just really got what I was going for for the web series. And uh, so he, he writes a lot of them. And he came up with Houdini's Hand. Uh, you know, he's he's a geek like me. He likes things like Houdini and, uh, and Tesla. So for us, introducing those characters is uh, – it's it's just kind of our way of having a fandom, I guess. You know, just we're, we're fans of them, so this is kind of a fan series a little bit. So we sort of throw it back to uh, some people that we've always liked in the past. Mm-hmm. So I really like that episode. Uh, I mean, granted, it didn't really, you know, beyond the, beyond the name of the episode and the fact that the, uh, the the hand could pick locks and stuff like that, it didn't really have much going on about Houdini actually in it. But it was it was a clever title, and it was all like it was, and it was quite quite a clever episode as well. Well, you um, know the the funny thing is is uh, uh you're you're probably familiar with this uh, TV show called uh, Warehouse Thirteen. I love that uh, show. Yeah, exactly, and I love it too. And it, it, it's an artifact show, and so uh, a number of uh, horror hotel episodes are artifact based, and the Houdini's hand is practically its own artifact and doing its things. And uh, just like Warehouse 13, you know, I mean, they, they they have various artifacts that are connected to a famous person in the past. Even though that person's not in the episode, it still has some sort of properties that are recognizable to that historic figure. Another show I used to like, I'm not sure if you, you remember this, um, but there was a show back in the uh, late 80s called Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah. antique store, and they went off in search of artifacts. And Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was a good show, too. Uh, I think when it, when it first came out, I thought, man, is this supposed to be something from the movie? But uh, no, I mean, it was its own show. It's uh, It was a great artifact show, definitely a precursor to uh, things like Warehouse 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I really like that one um, as well. Um, but yeah, you got you got a second season coming out. You're, um, you know, is that just going to go out on Hulu initially? Well, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely hope uh, Hulu is interested in uh, renewing with us and uh, picking up the second season. Uh, the funny thing is, is uh, when we were initially uh, pitching ideas to people, uh, we only had a few episodes under our belt. And everybody would say the same thing. Yeah, we really like it. We like the production quality and the stories. We like where you're going, but let's see more. Let's see more. And then we get a whole season out. And then they're like, well, we like it. We like it. But uh, what are you doing after that? Well, once we actually started shooting the second season, that's actually where the real interest picked up. That's uh, one reason that Hulu was so interested in picking up our first season was the fact that we were already starting to work on the second season. So uh, I think... You know, on a web series, by the time you get to the second season, you're working on it, that's where the real interest really starts to pick up, I see, especially from uh, those uh, higher-level uh, platforms like Hulu. Yeah. 
Uh, how have you gone about actually financing the series? Because, you know, these things are not cheap to make. You know, and <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. But uh, what we do is uh, it's all out of pocket for us. We, uh, we had thought about running uh, uh, crowdfunding uh, campaigns, but then we decided against that. But we do it all out of pocket. Uh, we actually uh, get a lot of help from uh, people on a volunteer basis, uh, all, all my actors and crew, uh, all the help we get, uh, we, we tell them we can promise you one thing and that you're going to get a really good episode out of it. And uh, there's no shortage of people that want to be involved in it. I think I, I sort of uh, equivalent it to the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. So if you make something good, people want to be a part of it. And I find, too, that there's so many people that are, uh, you know, if you're paying somebody, they're coming in to work on it for money. But if people come in and they volunteer because they know it's going to be a good project, you know what? They actually put a lot into it because the only thing they're getting out of it is a good project. So they really put their heart into it. And I see that a lot. I see just a real passion from the people I work with. And I'm so grateful I get to work with them. That really brings down a lot of cost because uh, trust me, we're spending it everywhere else on because, uh, you, you watch some of the episodes, we redecorate the set and repaint and uh, uh, put new furniture in there, build new furniture, uh, feeding people, of course, and just everything involved with making a web series can be expensive. But uh, getting help from uh, the, the Atlanta community has really helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Nick, is, um, have you have you got any plans to do any other web series other than Horror Hotel? Or are you just going to stick with Horror Hotel for the time being? You know, uh, I guess uh, I'm always creating new ideas. I definitely got a lot of ideas floating around in my mind. I'm always putting things down on paper, even running it by uh, the other producers to, you know, see what they think about things. But uh, I think, you know, for the time being, Horror Hotel is going to kind of be my bread and butter for uh, doing film. It, it takes a lot of work to do it. It's uh, it's a constantly ongoing thing. So I, I'd probably just stick to that just do one thing, do it well, you know? Mm-hmm. What would you say has been um, your most popular episode thus far with with, uh, with, with the viewers? Um, is there any way you can measure that? Do you know? Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I do a lot of times is before I even uh, complete an episode, I'll show it to a test audience of uh, just really close people that I know is going to be completely honest with me about things. And they'll watch it and they'll give me feedback on, hey, I like this, I like this, change this. Uh, and so that's one thing I get is, uh, get some, uh, good audience feedback that way. Uh, premieres are real good. When we, uh, launched the first season, we actually waited until all the episodes were done and showed them all at once at a premiere and gauged audiences reactions from that. Uh, and then, you know, just view counts and whatnot, you know, we get a lot of statistics, uh, online from people viewing things and uh feedback there as well and a lot of times i just ask people hey what's your favorite episode why which one don't you like but uh yeah one one reason that tilt is the first one is because people seem to really respond well to it they seem to like the singing cowboy and tilt kind of actually has a little bit of a happy ending you know i mean the, the the good guys win and so uh it's it's a good feel good and it's a fun episode so i think it was probably one of the uh most popular, which is why why I initially made it first. But uh, it, it's funny. I have people that give me answers for all the episodes. I don't think there's ever been one episode where somebody hadn't said that that was their favorite. I'm like, really? Okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny how people do respond to things, though, isn't it? Because um, as a creator, 
um, you you often have have your own uh, preconceptions on what 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 people are probably going to like like the most, and then you'll have right. someone come come with something completely out of left field, and you're thinking, wow, you know, <laughs> I did I didn't expect to, I didn't expect them to like that one. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, even when you're when you're making them and you're writing them and you're, you're thinking, man, fans are going to love this or they're going to really love this part of it. I, I, honestly, I think every episode has something unique or something really likable about it. Even if it's not a fan favorite, there's uh, some good quality in all the episodes and there's something people will like from each one. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have a favorite episode? You know, <laughs> I always ask myself that, too. Uh yeah, you know, I really like Tilt a lot, just uh, the story uh, way it goes. But uh, probably the one I like the absolute most is probably Tesla's Tooth. It was the uh, it's the sixth episode of the first season. I don't get a whole lot of people saying they love it, but uh, some people do. But I really like it. And but for me, a lot of times I'm looking looking at things and I'm judging them based off of. Uh, how well I think I did on the episodes, you know, I'm looking at them going, well, I really like the cinematography on this, or I really like the color and the sound, man, we really nailed this one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tesla's tooth is a great one, but, uh, Tilt's definitely got a good story as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Tesla's tooth was actually the next one I was planning to check out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> check it out. Watch you know, because, it. <laughs> uh, because another, another character from history I'm, I'm, I'm interested in is Nikolai Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. He's an interesting guy. One of, one of my favorites, for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of loved the uh, sanctuary take on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and that, that, was a, that was a very clever show. Um, and also a very clever show that started out as uh, probably one of the most expensive web series ever made. You know, at $6 million, I think it was. Yeah, and then it was picked up, and uh, they, they ran with it. They, they they did indeed, and it was it turned out pretty well. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you got season two coming up. Um, when is that? When is that likely to be hitting the uh, internet? You know, to be honest with you, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, what I tell people is, I, I've been working on Horror Hotel for about two years now, but uh, for the rest of the world, it just came out. You know, because I mean, we we announced the Hulu. Um, uh, released probably a month or two ago. So to the rest of the world, Horror Hotel is pretty new. So my guess is around a year-ish, uh, probably a little bit less, we'll release the second season. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's plenty of episodes in season one for people to be going out, I guess. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, originally I was going to release uh, the second season episodes as I finished them, but... Uh, uh, these platforms like Hulu are not not as interested in taking one episode at a time. They do that for a lot of their own shows that uh, they make. Uh, I don't know if you know they're actually owned by NBC Universal and uh, some other uh, network conglomerates. But uh, as they air an episode, they'll release it on Hulu. But for uh, independent producers, they pretty much just take them a season at a time. So uh, other than pro- having premieres for each episode uh, for uh, in Atlanta for people to come and see, which will be open to the public, we'll just wait and release a whole season at a time. And uh, for that, I'll probably just do what I did on the first season and make it about six episodes. That way people aren't waiting forever to see something new. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there a, can you ever see there being, you know, an episode that, um, you know, would would actually do 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 well as sort of like a long form, as in a film, as in as in a feature length. Uh, oh yeah, you know, uh, 
I joke with people and I tell them, uh, after the last season of Horror Hotel, I'm going to make Horror Hotel the movie. And uh, actually, I got I got a lot of ideas for uh, what would do well as uh, a movie. Some some episodes we come up with are actually uh, fairly lengthy, and we have to either cut them down or scrap them just because there's too much story there. So I think there's definitely uh, a lot of potential for uh, feature length uh, Horror Hotel. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you get ever get bored of hotel and make your millions of millions of dollars, you can always do one. Uh, you know, of a horror boat. Where it's all set on set on a boat, and uh, like <laughs> you know you could you could do a you could do a rock version of the love boat theme, and so sort of like uh, you know reverse the lyrics or something. So it's all something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's it's been great speaking to you. It's been great having you on the show. Well, thank you, Ian. I appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, well, I, I've had fun too. So you know. Um, best of luck with Horror Hotel. I hope it song like uh, continues to be a uh, success for you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> okay, engine stop. We copy it down. Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before, discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hi, this is Tom O'Pennicott, and you're listening to the SFP Now podcast. And that about wraps things up for this week. Um, we'll be back again next week, maybe. Um, we we're trying to get a you know get organised a chat with uh, with Rich Hangy, who's um, pretty well known in, in in the in the business of comics, and he's um, he's he's trying to get a campaign going to um, to get a lot of the old uh, Star Trek comics, a lot of the old UK Star Trek comics, uh, published into uh, one volume. Um, so so that you know new people and uh, fan, fans of, of those comics get, get another opportunity to sort of read them. So I'll be talking to Rich about that next week with any luck. Anyway, as always, thanks for listening and we'll be back at you next week with um, our next review of, uh, of Doctor Who, um, The Heist, and hopefully uh, Rich Hangley. So, bye for now.